to the, the building, but the Millers are joining us today. It's so good to see you guys. Yeah. So, um, the Millers were a part of this place for a number of years, and Shalene uh, ran the children's ministry, and, and then she took the whole children's ministry with her <laughs> to Arkansas. So, that was a little bit of a blow. No, you didn't take, we, we tried to send you with some other kids, but, right. Uh, okay, so if you have a Bible, Jonah chapter four, we are in the final part of our series, The Sign of Jonah. And, um, and you know what's crazy about this setup is it's kind of cool. I, I'm a part of you. I mean, so sometimes uh, you think coming here, well, they're like, oh, we're gonna hear and get all the answers from somebody who's got it mastered. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I hate to burst your bubble on that one. Um, we're, we're a community. I'm a part of this with you. I'm, I'm hearing the word with you. I'm struggling and wrestling with it with you. And so I'm a part of the circle. You know what I mean? Where no one's, no one's got it uh, all figured out. And so this morning, we're gonna finish up this crazy story. This story that... Um, a lot of meaning has been made of it um, in different ways throughout the years. Um, and really kind of what we said last week was it's a story about Israel. It's a story about the people of Israel and who they are and who they should be and who they aren't. And, and this is, this is uh, really kind of focused in on a, on a guy named Jonah, but really the focus is, is God, who God is. And this story kind of starts off with uh, God calling Jonah. Jonah runs away. God sends a storm. Uh, Jonah went to sleep. The sailors threw Jonah overboard. The storm ends. The sailors worship God. Jonah spends three days and three nights in a great fish. It's not a whale. It's a fish. Let's get that clear. And that's just chapter one. And then you get to this part where this weird part where God, God, God calls Jonah again. I mean, he, he, there's chapter two is just a really powerful story and there's, there's, uh, there's just a lot in there. And then, and then Jonah gets called again by God and eventually Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches what amounts to be a five-word sermon. Like, I, I, I felt like he just kind of gave it the bare minimum. You know, like high school boys. Just the bare minimum. <laughs> Like, what do I got to do to get by? The whole city repents after this five-word sermon. God relents. And actually, we talked about this last week. That word is actually God repents. Kind of crazy. God turns and goes the other way. And it's the greatest revival that we see in the Old Testament and really in, in most of the Bible. It is like an unbelievable story. And you would think Jonah would be happy, but he's not happy. In fact, he wants to die. He's so angry. Listen to verse one of chapter four. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. In fact, that word wrong, it said, this seemed evil. He actually thinks that God forgiving this city of Nineveh was some kind of evil against him and against the people of Israel. 
So Jonah's a little upset, and he's upset with God. And, and I think a couple of the reasons are here. We just don't know how deep Jonah's anger and frustration is towards the people of Nineveh. I mean, listen, this is, this is kind of a racial nationalistic deal. I'm gonna just be honest with you. Jonah's a Hebrew, and he thinks he's a pretty big deal. And he thinks his nation is a pretty big deal. And he is upset that God is forgiving these pagan Gentiles, these Assyrians. And so nationalism and racism is, is kind of involved here. I mean, you just can't separate it. And then there's this other piece that I think is really interesting, that morally Jonah thinks he's much better and much greater than the Assyrians. So it's like this racial nationalistic thing and this moralist thing, and Jonah is frustrated that God has forgiven, and, and, and this forgiveness of God is actually a great evil towards him. And it's a great evil towards the people of Israel. And so he prays to the Lord. And this is where we find out really what's going on in Jonah. He prays to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He is so upset because he knew it. He knew God was compassionate and gracious. You remember our series just right before this, Exodus 34, when God reveals himself to the people of Israel. This is something that Jonah knew. It's, it's, it's 10 times quoted in the Old Testament, but it's alluded to many more times in the Old Testament, that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Remember what that means? It means God is long of nostril. Slow to anger. It's not part of his character to be angry. God is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. And he's abounding in love and faithfulness. He's forgiving. And we talked about this last week, that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, but there's a lot of Jonah in most of us. Right? I mean, there's just something about this guy that, that we look at and go, oh, that that's kind of like me. I mean, Jonah's attitude has been quite clear from the beginning. I mean, he just, he hasn't wanted to see these people redeemed. He hasn't wanted God to show them mercy. And the literal translation, he, he was greatly displeased with God. And so when God shows great grace, Jonah thinks it's great evil. And Jonah just, obviously, he knows it. He knows who God is. But the reality is Jonah is fine with mercy when he receives it, okay? When he receives it in the belly of the fish. But he couldn't handle it when God showed mercy to Nineveh. There's a, there's a quote. One writer wrote this. He says, you can tell you have made God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. I mean, it's pretty clear that, uh, that that's uh, a God of your own imagination. So Jonah says, I wish I was dead. 
And talk about a bad attitude. I mean, you can't really go further than that, right? It's the worst kind of an attitude. And in the belly of the fish, he was, he was praying, oh God, let me live. And now he's praying, oh God, let me die. And we read this book, and a lot of times the focus is always on Nineveh. And, and I've heard sermons about Jonah, and they're like, where's your Nineveh? Are you gonna go to Nineveh? And it ends up being like this missionary thing. That's not what it is. <laughs> it's not what it is. In fact, the focus isn't Nineveh. Actually, the focus is, instead of, God, what are you gonna do with Nineveh? The focus is, God, what are you gonna do with Jonah? Because he's actually supposed to be <laughs> compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Remember we talked about how we bear God's name. And if God is those things, then Jonah's supposed to be those things, but Jonah is not. Jonah's not those things. In fact, this is, it, this is just really fun here with Jonah. Um, you know, when, when you have this, this idea of this wicked group of sinners in Nineveh, um, what does God do? He saves them, right? Um, the problem is, what is he gonna do with this smug, arrogant, anger-filled churchgoer named Jonah? And that's what I meant when I said there's a little Jonah in all of us and a lot, and a lot of Jonah in most of us because the Lord replies in verse four, he says, is it right for you to be angry? Is it, is it really your place to be angry about this? Now, what's interesting is then God gives Jonah a, an object lesson. I mean, this is like, this is like God and Danza's Vorka with a, with, a, with, a, with a visual aid for Jonah, right? And so if you guys have been around here long enough to know, Dan, when Dan preaches, there's usually visuals. God gives Jonah a visual. And what happens is, is it starts in, chapter, in verse five. It says, Jonah had gone out. So he goes out of the city. All this revival breaks out, right? He's angry. He's talking to God the whole way out. He goes out and he sits down at a, at a place east of the city, okay, uh, so that he can see. It's basically, it says he wants to wait to see what would happen to the city. Like he's gonna camp out on a hillside and hopefully watch God burn this mother down. I mean, that's what Jonah's attitude is. Jonah is gonna go to the, he's gonna watch from the east. He goes east of the city. Why? Sunsets in the west. It's gonna be a great view, right? The backdrop of the sunset and Nineveh burning to the ground, right? This is what Jonah wants. He wants this. And so he sits there. It says that he makes a shelter and it sat it in its shade and waited to see what would happen. That actually, that word shelter is tabernacle. And we get that word from the Feast of Booths, the festival of tabernacle, and, and where the, the people of Israel would actually go, and, and for eight days they would live in tents. They would go camping together, and it would be a reminder that God provided for them and that God gave them tabernacle and shelter in uh, the desert. Um, it's a beautiful beautiful uh, festival that they would do every year. And so there's this kind of this taste of, of, of Jonah. Uh, he's got this shelter. And, and then this is what God does. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, right? I mean, he's got this little shelter he's made and then God made this vine grow up to cover even the shelter, right? To give it shade. And what I think is interesting 
is just a little bit of imagery here. Jonah leaves the city and makes a shelter. He actually leaves the people and makes a shelter outside the city because he doesn't want to be around them. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus actually comes to the earth and he tabernacles with us. See the difference? Jonah decides to go somewhere else to be away from them and Jesus chooses to come be with us. I think that's just a really cool, interesting Old Testament thing there. Um, And then it says this in verse seven, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. (laughs) That's so nice of God. And which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. So it's coming at his back probably. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die again. The guy wants to die. And he says, and it would be better for me to die than to live. And the question is, will Jonah be happy with God only when God makes him happy? I mean, will, will, he, will he do, uh, I mean, is he just, all of his expectations on his circumstances and the things God's doing? I mean, here's where we get God's heart revealed. Verse nine, but God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Okay, so the first time he says, is it, is it right for you to be angry? He's referring to Nineveh, right? And this time it says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So what God is doing is he's actually given this beautiful little picture. It's like, okay, you're really angry about this vine. Okay, but aren't people more important than the vine? Like, isn't my heart for these people more important than your heart for this vine? I mean, he's just given this beautiful picture, this, this idea for Jonah. And this, this thing wilts. And then the Lord says in verse 10, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who who can't tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals? He's always got the animals in there, right? Remember we talked about the cows last week? Listen, it's just this beautiful picture he's given to Jonah about who he is. Shouldn't I be concerned about this great city? Like, shouldn't I have feelings of love and compassionate and grace and forgiveness towards this great city. And Jonah's story ends with this statement about, shouldn't I have this concern about this city? And the answer, of course, is yes. God is concerned about this great city. And Jonah should be concerned too, but he's not. He's just waiting for the fireworks. And so maybe this story for us, if we throw down some implications about it, maybe the story for us is maybe some of us would rather not get involved in the world at all. And maybe this has come from some of our belief in how everything's gonna end, right? We, we've had people interpret scripture for us and, they, and they've said, oh, the, the, the world's just gonna burn up. God's just gonna burn this place down. And so we really don't, 
you know, we just need to, once, we're, uh, once we have our ticket to heaven, we get to just kind of sit back, okay, and maybe try to get people to get a ticket to heaven and sit back with us, and that's the whole goal, right? And, and then we're just gonna watch the world burn down. That, that's not scripture at all. And somewhere in the last 50 years, uh, maybe to 100 years, there's been some uh, theology behind how this worked out. But God is very concerned about this world and about this world we live in here in Denver. And that we don't have really the the ability to just kind of sit idly by. There's another way of looking at this whole issue. Jonah has two problems. On the surface, his problem is that he has no heart for the people of Nineveh, right? I mean, that's pretty clear, right? But the second problem he has is he actually can't deal with a God who does. He actually has no room in his heart for a God that does. I mean, in some ways, you could say this. Jonah's God is too small. Like the, Jonah, the God in his mind and in his heart that says that, that he should just nuke Nineveh, it, it, his, his version of God is too small. And that's why his heart is too small. See, when we worship God, when we, we, we think about God correctly, it actually changes us from the inside out. It actually does something that expands our, our love and our grace and our compassion for other people. But somewhere along the, the line, we get, we get kind of cynical. We get kind of, um, well, we get kind of human, right? It's a real human thing, isn't it? And when we talk about the people of Israel, who they were supposed to be, they were supposed to be a people who were blessed by God to bless others. And that they would see who God was through how they lived and how they worshiped and how they did things differently and how they dealt with foreigners and widows and orphans and the poor. And see, this story was an oral history. This story was something spoken and told over and over again. And and some people think, well, in the story, Jonah doesn't really repent. But I think somewhere after this story, somewhere after this account, Jonah's actually the one that brings this to people. Jonah's actually the one that maybe, my, my guess is and my hope is is that somewhere down the line he looks back on this experience and man, I totally had that wrong. And he begins to tell this really honest story about himself. Someone writes it down and it's meant for the people of Israel. See, the problem was with God's own people in this story. And that's a hard one. We don't like to preach about that. You know, it's always, the problem's always out there, right? In the world. (laughs) That's where the problems are, right? Well, not according to Jonah. I mean, the problem with the world is not the world. The problem with the world is sometimes the church or the people of God. We just, we have this small view of God. We have this idea that God, there should be some, outsiders and there should be some insiders and and the people who aren't that bad of outsiders, they have a chance to be insiders. But those people that are really outsiders, you know, like country music and just kidding. 
you guys hate that. It's just going to happen. Those people that are really outside, though, I mean, like, really outside. Yeah, they're probably a lost cause, right? See, God's greatest problem is not the sinner out there. His greatest problem is the saint in here. And that's why we gather around the table, right? So that we can reflect and get the mirror put in front of us. That we can be those kind of people that actually begin to become more compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. See, we're a lot more like Jonah than we want to admit. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself in this regard. You've hung out with me enough to know you, you kind of tell I'm, I'm, I, I can be a cynical guy a little bit. <laughs> Gets kind of aggravating for people, especially my family. Um, I was reading a book by a guy named Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. It's a really good book. And he's got, I mean, you know, I'm reading along. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then there's this section about cynicism. And it just floors me. It just really messes me up. Because this is one of the things that happens in your praying life and in your life about connecting with God is that when you're cynical, your heart stays pretty closed. Your heart stays pretty hard, right? And you're like, well, Ryan, why are you cynical? You're a pastor. You're not supposed to be cynical. Oh, like, like the years of being a pastor and being in ministry is like, it's like a war on your soul because you just see stuff and you're just like, really? And you see games and you see the angles and you see all of it. Um, you know, you know, some of you, I, you know, I spend some time with uh, police officers and one of the things that happens in police is you just show up on situations and you're already like, yeah, I don't believe you. I don't believe your story. I mean, there's some cynicism that happens in, in officers that, that is just hard to, to break out of. And then I think about the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And I think about... <laughs> how brutal that parable was. And, and Jesus tells this story and he says, there's this worker that starts at the beginning of the day and the worker that starts at the end of the day and they get paid the same amount. And that's not fair. When you think about it, that's Jonah. That's Jonah. He's like, man, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet. Why do these people get redemption? So that book I just told you about, Paul Miller, he says this. Cynicism kills hope. The world of the cynic is fixed and immovable. The cynic believes we are swept along by forces greater than we are. Dreaming feels so much like foolishness. Risk becomes intolerable. Prayer feels pointless, as if we were talking to the wind. You know, you, you felt that in your life, right? It just kind of creeps in. Jonah, I'm sure, is just, just like, whatever. A couple summers ago, I, I started sharing with you guys a little bit about this guy named G.K. Chesterton that I was been, have been reading. And, and he wrote this quote that's become kind of a real favorite of mine. He says this, can you loathe the world enough to desperately want to change it and at the same time love the world enough to think it worth changing? 
Can you, can, you, can, you, can you despise how it all goes down enough to, to want to change it, but then love it so passionately that you wanna do something about it? And I, I think that's kind of what we're talking about here because a lot of times Nineveh is like the people we write off, right? It's you know the neighbor next door, the one who doesn't take care of their yard. You know, maybe that's a smaller issue for you than it is for me. But maybe your boss, it's a jerk, or, or maybe it's your ex-spouse, or maybe it's, your, uh, maybe it's a, a Muslim neighbor or a Sikh banker in your world that, that you just run into that you just think, oh man, I, I just think that they're, they're out of touch of God's grace and mercy. See, you can tell you've made God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. We just talked about that before. And whenever you find people, you're gonna find Nineveh. And you live in Nineveh, you work in Nineveh, you carpool in Nineveh. This is is your world. And you're a Jesus follower. And you need to understand that God still loves Nineveh more than you will ever know. And so you need to wrap your head around it. You need to grab hold of it. God loves these people more than you could ever know, and there's nothing they can do to make God love them less. And that should change what we think and what we do, because at the end of the day, here's what this looks like. The question is, are you okay with God loving your enemies and loving them as passionate as he loves you? Are you okay with that? Because that's God. That's his heart. And there's just, I'll just throw this out there. There might be some racial slash nationalistic enemies that you have. I'm just gonna call it out. You just assume that North Korea just gets whatever. It gets it what it deserves. Or Iran or ISIS or, can we just talk about the big things? That's kind of what on the level with Jonah. But then there's that moral piece too, right? And that might be closer to home for some of us. For instance, let me just throw this out there. If you love a particular moral conviction more than the people who are breaking your particular favorite moral conviction, <laughs> then you're missing the heart of God. If there's something that is so big that if someone breaks that little moral code that's kind of your favorite go-to, it's your favorite one. If someone breaks that moral conviction of yours and you love, you love the moral conviction more than you love them, you're, you're missing the heart of God. I'm missing the heart of God. And that's the hard thing, right? This is, this is why this is hard. This is what God calls us to. It's messy, it's tension-filled, it's, we wrestle with this. And if you don't wrestle with this today, you'll wrestle with it tonight, you'll wrestle with it tomorrow. You're gonna wrestle with, this is what we do as people who follow Jesus. So, you may say, where's the gospel in this story? I just wanna answer you with saying that Jesus used, and, and Dan brought this up too uh, in his sermons, that Jesus used this 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 peace to say who he was. He says, this is the sign of Jonah. I am the sign of Jonah. I have come, okay? 
and one greater than Jonah is here. And we're just like, well, it's kind of a low bar because it sounds like Jonah was a mess, right? I mean, so you could reread, you could reread for uh, John three sixteen. You know the football verse: "For God so loved Nineveh that He gave His only Son, that whoever in Nineveh believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." And that changes how we approach our Ninevehs, right? Listen to this last thing. This is a guy named Thomas Carlyle. He wrote a poem called You, Jonah. Listen to these words. And then we're gonna come to the table together. And the last two stanzas go this way. Listen to this. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving.